0: It's episode 296 of Crack the Customer Code, where refills are always free. Adam, I think we're getting to the point where we might need secret decoder rings. What do you think?
1: To understand each other?
0: <laughs> Most days, yes. Most
1: days. <laughs> Genius uh, from Mars and I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, something like sarcasm that.
0: sarcasm reader, something like yes, that. right. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's interesting how there's so much talk in the business world and in our world about communication and how we communicate. And yet, our guest today really talks about the secret language of customers. And I think there's there's a lot to learn here about branding and how to really reach out to the right people. And I I was pretty fascinated by it. Well, what yeah, do you think?
1: Yeah, I think it has applications across, you know, B2B and B2C but I think it was really uh really insightful particularly on a B2B client type of business mm-hmm. uh, cuz it really talks about, you know, finding having that language to find who's a match for you, who's a match for your unique, you know, your organization's unique culture or mm-hmm. personality or whatever. And I think you know, there's a lot to be said for Yeah, we we talk a lot about having the right customers and hopefully not having to fire customers. And I think Jeffrey's really focused on making sure you have the right customers in the first place and using his, you know, concept of lingo in that language, you know, finding who that is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I think we should get right to it because it's a really fun one too. So... Buckle up, everybody. Buckle up. We're going <laughs> for a ride. <laughs> well, let me tell you about Jeffrey Shaw. Jeffrey Shaw, the lingo guy, has been the go-to portrait photographer for an exclusive clientele for 30 plus years. His portraits have appeared on the Oprah Show, woo-woo, CBS News, in O Magazine, People Magazine, and New York Family Magazine. Jeffrey is also the host of the popular business podcast, Creative Warriors, and a featured speaker on The Moth. Now Jeffrey uses his intuition to see and sense to help businesses stand out, attract their ideal customers, and create brand loyalty that supersedes price. His book, Lingo, Discover Your Ideal Customer's Secret Language and Make Your Business Irresistible, helps business owners and entrepreneurs understand their ideal customers on a deeper level, increasing engagement and profits. Hello, Jeffrey. We're so happy to have you here.
2: Well, I'm really excited to be here with you both. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, I am super excited because I love talking about entrepreneurs, especially uncommon entrepreneurs like my partner, Jeannie Walters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, is that me too? <laughs> <laughs> but no, I love how you discuss how uncommon entrepreneurs aren't supposed to fit into a box and that they actually get hired because their clients you know, get us, get them. So what's your strategy for discovering if that fit is there? So before committing to a client, knowing whether they get you or not.
2: Well, you know, I think it's really on the front end. I said, you know, it's in my book, Lingo is really about uh, speaking the secret language of your ideal customers, right? So what I mean by that and by the secret language is a lot of it's communicated in your branding. So if your branding is speaking the secret language of your ideal customers, you know what, all that work is done ahead of time. The goal being that your excellent branding, speaking the secret language of your ideal customers, the people you really want to work with, done well, it magnetizes your ideal customers and filters out the rest. So all that work is done up front, you know, so that you're not, uh, because I know a lot of people I talk about working with ideal customers, people fear having to say no. Right. So you don't have to say no if only the right customers are showing up. And the way that we want that to, to be demonstrated is that this there's this essence that, you know, the people showing up in your business really have a sense that you get them, like you really understand in a deeper, more emotional connected way that you totally get them. That's why they show up. One of the things I say often is you know, people don't hire you because you're the best. People hire you because you get them and they get you. And it's that bond of just really that alliance that comes between customer and, and brand that really, uh, you know, kind of creates a tight bond for brand loyalty.
0: And I love the way you describe that as a secret language for customers. And, you know, you mentioned that it magnifies certain things almost to the right people only, right? (laughs) Like it's, uh, those people are the ones who really see that message. So if somebody is starting from a place where they're like, I'm trying to figure out my brand, I'm trying to figure out where those customers are, what do you recommend about creating that secret language? What parts of the brand should be magnified in that you know, pre-sale process? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, you know, Jeannie, it starts a lot inwardly, and this is the work that a lot of People don't take the time to do. And, you know, something I say in in lingo is that most businesses are built backwards. (laughs) You know, most businesses are built. We have a product. We have a thing. We have a service. We create the business and then we spend eternity running around trying to fit people in that box like it's trying to fit a square peg in a round hole.
1: It's mm-hmm. just inherently
2: the way businesses are built. So uh, the right way to build a business actually is to take the time to do the self study. You know, who, there's a there's a very common question in marketing that's asked, which is, "Whom are you for?" And the the way that I've always understood that question be asked, the first thing I thought of is, "Let me who that I was being asked about who's the audience?" But I realized that I wanted to put a spin on that. And actually, when you're asked the question, "Whom are you for?", you actually should look inward right what are you, what is your skill set what are your innate characteristics what is it that you're so amazing at just for who you are and who would love that right? What market would love your talent? What market would love your, you know, your sense of humor, right? Your way of doing, it. I'm an incredibly attention to detail type of guy, right? That's not for everybody. I would drive I, in some business. I would drive people crazy, right? <laughs> Let's face it, you know, but it served incredibly well for who I was serving a high end clientele as a photographer, right? So that attention to detail was spot on with the people I served. So I think first you want to turn inward. Who, whom are you for? Like, who are you innately good for? Then you can begin to determine who would love that, right? So first, you kind of, that's how mm-hmm. you create that initial alignment. And then you build a business for them by what I refer to as my 5 steps uh, secret language strategy. First step being perspective, like really understanding. It's like for step number one is about understanding who they are. And then the other four sequential steps are about building the brand that speaks the secret language of that ideal customer.
0: You know, I love that because when I started this business my consulting business in 2007 one of the things i came to terms with pretty quickly was like you know a lot of customer experience is about collection of data and uh like hard data you know and What I realized was that was not my love. That's not what I loved to do. Like other people can do the surveys and the collection and the analytics, and that informs the work I do. But I always say like I drew a line in the sand and said, yeah, we're qualitative, not quantitative. (laughs) I'm totally happy with that. And it's scary as all get out because you realize that you're going to alienate certain groups or or certain people uh, who could be clients. But I'm so relieved I, I made that decision because I'm so comfortable um, and confident with what we do now. And I think that if I had gone down that path of trying to be something that I wasn't, I wouldn't have that confidence. So I think it's great advice because... It is scary, and it does feel like a risk, but it's actually the best thing you can do as a business owner, yeah, in my I opinion.
2: Agree. I love the fact that your you know, show is called Crack the Customer Code. Like To me, when I discovered <laughs> the secret language, this idea of a secret language, because yeah, to be honest, I grew up lower middle class, and I wound up photographing the most affluent people in the United States in, in 30 years of doing so. The reason I was able to do that is because I cracked the customer code. And I just called it the secret language. I mean, we're talking the same thing. you know. I, I just called it the yep. secret language. Yep. I became aware as this you know, lower middle-class kid when I started serving the wealthy people. It was like, wow, there's a whole other language being communicated here. Right. <laughs> the way the business <laughs> is connected with their customer is a whole different world. And, and I remember there's, and I tell the story in lingo, the book starts off with this story. And there was a, a single moment where I stood in the center of Bergdorf Goodman, the super high-end store in New York City, and felt like I had mm-hmm. cracked the customer code. I mean, I... I love the name of your (laughs) show for that reason. It's like, that's exactly what it felt like. Like, I get it now. They're speaking a different language. Mm
1: -hmm. It's so true, too, though, because I I mean that, you know, if you if we found a theme over the last 300 episodes or whatever (laughs) we're at now, right. I mean, you know, if, if we ever came down to a few core themes, I mean, one of them would certainly always be that every customer has a different code. Mm-hmm. And that you've got to approach it you know on a very individual basis now of course you're going to make macro decisions because you can't <laughs> not do that and function in business but each code's different uh you know each customer's code is different and each customer responds to different things and that's why i really love your approach and your five-step process and all that now i want to ask you about something else so Uh, If you've listened to the show for a while, you've heard me mention the eighty twenty rule, Pareto principle, whatever you want to call it, a few times. And I know you have a slightly different take on that—that maybe that it's a bit outdated in today's market. So tell us a little Hmm. bit about your view on that. Well,
2: you know, you can't discount that it is that there's some truth to the eighty twenty rule. It's always been there, right? But you know, I think in today's world, it, it is so hard to stand out. You know, and I'm sure your objective in promoting the 80-20 rule is probably very similar to mine in that you're trying to tell people, pay attention to that, that 20%, right? Pay attention to the 20% because 80% of your income coming, is coming from there. And, and when I look back at my career as a photographer and, and now as a business coach, the reason my business has succeeded is because only, I have only worked with my ideal customers, Right. From the day I started my photography business serving this affluent clientele, I was twenty-three years old. And I made a clear decision that I was only going to work with my ideal customers. So you the result is you end up having a business that kind of busts up the Pareto principle because 100% 100% of my income came from 100% of my clients. If you think about how challenging, I mean, it's so <laughs> difficult to get noticed today, right? I mean, there's so much noise in the marketplace. Every business is so much more competitive. We're not just competing with anybody local or you know, we're competing worldwide. People compare your level of customer service with the level of customer service they received from Amazon, right? I mean, they're, not, they're people don't even compare apples to apples anymore. So with that much noise, My feeling is, is that as small businesses, entrepreneurs, we work so incredibly hard. We can't afford for eight out of 10 customers to not pay off, right? So the goal then is to build a brand that so clearly speaks the secret language of your ideal customer. It is only your ideal customers that show up, or, you know, maybe it's the 90, 10 rule, (laughs) but right. But we're aiming for a much (laughs) higher percentage of people that are your ideal customers.
1: Well, I'm mm-hmm. on board with that because one of the things I hate, I hate calling it the 80-20 rule because yeah, that's very random, but it's the only thing people know. If you say the Pareto principle, then mm-hmm. you've shrunk the circle of people who know what it is by like a factor yeah. of 50. <laughs> so and so that's the catch. I end up calling it the 80-20 rule, but when I write, when I have more time, I always say it may be the 95-5 rule exactly. it may maybe the 90-10 rule to mm-hmm. your point. you know. It, but the principle I think somewhat does stand, which is that uh, and I get your, your idea, which I, I like that, which is you know, everything's important. And if you are more selective, you have less of that uh, unproductive, either client base or whatever it may be pieces of the journey. Cause we look at it from an operational standpoint too, which is, Hey, everybody, uh, I know every business I know doesn't have enough time, doesn't have enough resources, but they want to fix their customer experience. Well, where do you start? Well, you start with that 20 or that 10 or that 15. Mm-hmm doesn't mean the rest isn't important, but you start on the things where you can get the most leverage. And that's I think so I think we're very aligned on uh, yeah. like the idea behind yeah. it. And, 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 and Adam, there
2: isn't an entrepreneur that I have asked who hasn't experienced the idea that, you know, you're the you made the most amount of money with your easiest customers. There is every single entrepreneur I've ever asked that mm-hmm. question will can identify that they they made the most amount of money, the most profitable relationship they have also happens to be their easiest customer. And on the other side, the people they jumped through hoops for and went crazy over were tended to be the least profitable. So there you go. Like just, just work with the profitable Hallelujah. Right. But But a lot of it comes (laughs) down to this, this this idea of of secret language as a branding mechanism. Like how do you, you know, you have to call forward the right people. You have to get on their wavelength. And one of the, I'll give you a a real quick scenario that I I think really demonstrates this is if you've ever traveled in a foreign country. And and I remember vividly having this experience on on the boat in Venice where I don't speak Italian. So, right away i'm already you know i'm already the outsider but i'm on the boat everybody around you is speaking italian and to you, after a while it's just white noise if you don't understand what's being said it's just white noise but the moment someone spoke english my native language my mm-hmm. head whipped around i was immediate right i'm immediately connected to that person i could hear the <laughs> yeah. clarity of the, what those words way above everything else that i didn't understand and it's almost as if the volume is louder Because it's clear. It's a clear Mm -hmm. language. Mm -hmm. That's the idea of of using this idea, the secret language, to really identify who your ideal customer is and then get so attuned with their fluency and their language that you just shine out above everybody else. They get you, which is right back to
1: Jeannie's first question. That was a really great analogy. I love that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of studies that I've read that say people also do that if they hear their name, like you can hear your name in a crowded room and uh, moms can hear their babies at weird volumes like that too in crowded places. So it's like we're we're tuned in as humans to all of these things that are, it's fascinating. Um, And one of the things that you wrote about too, that I thought was really interesting was this idea of the new niche and- I'm wondering how long will it be new, and do I need to n- worry about a newer one next year? Is, you
2: guys, I, I'm like a really agreeable guy. I didn't realize how my thoughts were so disruptive until I wrote this book and I started getting asked. So I was like, man, I, I seem to, you know. But the funny thing is, I look back at my past as a as a speaker. I I don't so much anymore, but I. Um, I used to start off every one of my presentations with a photograph of me in a headstand. Uh, I practice yoga and it happens to be something I do often. In fact, I would often Mm -hmm. show up to cities I was speaking in early and I would do a headstand on on, like a landmark in that city and then I'd quickly pop it into my presentations. I have this whole series of me standing on my head throughout the United States. And that tells you a lot right there. Um, But I used to do that because I always want people to look at things another way. I always want to encourage the opposite view because I'd say, you know, most of the time in my life, three decades in business, I have found the answers I'm looking for when I flip things upside down. This idea, the niche, the way it's been taught in the world has you know, right off the top, Adam is asked about fitting an uncommon entrepreneurs being fit in a box. This is the thing that annoys me the most <laughs> is this idea of creative thinking people <laughs> being told to find a niche, figure out the one. I mean, you know, it is torture to tell a creative thinker to find one thing to do, one thing. And then.
1: Oh, Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. oh my God! You're my you're my it
2: hero, just, buddy. I know you're my spirit it's animal right now, Georgia. <laughs> and then maybe even find just the one group of people that will want that. It is a completely, in my opinion, outdated restrictive business model. Not even a safe business model nowadays, because if you only really do one thing, you could so easily become irrelevant. So my idea of the new niche is really more of a de- redefinition mm-hmm. of it. Instead of it being the one thing that you do or the one audience. An expansive version of that is that your new niche is your area of expertise. What is the area of expertise for which you want to be known for? I'm known for coaching and teaching and training creative entrepreneurs, right? It, it, I started out coaching just photographers, which is my you know history. But then I realized, man, there's a common there's common challenges whether you're a podcaster or a coach or a designer or a jewelry jewelry designer or an event planner i started that's why i came up with the term uncommon entrepreneurs all of us who are in a profession the one common denominator amongst everyone that i reach in my world is that we're all in business and doing something that there's no business training for right? We all, we all, we all can get good as photographers and designers (laughs) and and coaches, but there's no one teaching how to be in business in that profession. So I realized there are commonalities. So my area of expertise is coaching creative entrepreneurs. Once I own that space, you realize it actually expands your audiences. I don't have to choose just photographers. Then you can start seeing the commonalities amongst multiple audiences that have similar challenges. So this idea of a new niche, instead of owning the one thing that you can do, what is your space of expertise for which you can become known for? When you understand the space, you then actually can see multiple audiences that you can serve. I, um, real quick, I'll give you a direct example. I, I once had a conversation with a woman who specializes, she's a coach, And she specializes in supporting women uh, in divorce. But what was interesting about her approach is she described to me one day that all the women she works with, the divorce was a huge surprise. She even used the words came. It was like their life took a sudden left turn. Like they didn't see the divorce coming. And she had a particular skill set that would manage that, which is unique, mm. right? That's a high stress situation. These are not, again, these are women that, that found themselves divorced and, and you know, due to an affair or uh, whatever the reason, just suddenly their life, the rug was pulled out from right. Or she described that their life took a sudden left turn. What I encouraged her to do when she owned that space as, a, as an expert of being able to l- handle that level of stress is what other ways do people's lives take a sudden left turn, right? People lose their jobs suddenly death of a spouse, even death of a child. like There are mm-hmm. a lot of ways when you start thinking about it, there are multiple audiences whose lives can take a sudden left turn for which I believe that she could be helpful for and didn't have to be as narrow as just supporting women in divorce. So now she has an expansive business model. So that's what I mean by new niche, like owning your space oh, and love, then seeing multiple this. audiences. So now you're you're growing horizontally.
1: Oh uh, hmm. man, I, I love those So I've had so many people over the years, especially speaking on customer experience and customer service, tell me like, you know, not only pick a topic, but you need to like pick an industry and yeah. And, suit the uh, and I just, I always said, uh, you know, I'll specialize on my topic. I just cannot do it. Mm-hmm. I could not sit there and do like one industry, one narrow little lane. I would go bonkers, <laughs> even if yeah. it was just. A- Right.
2: because we don't just we don't just want to make money right we want to be happy and fulfilled I mean who, novel idea <laughs> yeah, right. I, mean,
1: I, I love the challenge of getting you know get a workshop in Korea or speaking in Korea and it's a different industry and I have to learn yeah. about that industry and I have to figure out what their challenges are and how to apply these principles and I may learn something about these principles in that industry so yeah I, That's I just, right. this is fantastic I love this stuff so let me ask you a question then a uh, final question here before we wrap up. So, you know, we've talked a lot, not we, but, you know, the world has talked a lot in the last 10 years about this being the age of specialization. And this sort of goes against it, but not totally. What, it, How does this blend with that or maybe push back against it at all?
2: Well, you know, it's uh, if you actually look at the cycle of business, which I've, I've done, I mean, businesses use, do, you, let me ask you a, a wild question. Do you know the, the red and white uh, spinning pole outside of a barbershop? Sure. Yes. Okay. Do you know what that represents?
1: Uh, vertigo. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, no that, idea. <laughs> that, that 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 spinning pole was outside of stores where you could both get a haircut and surgery.
0: Oh my oh, gosh! Okay. Lovely. Okay. Lovely. I kid you not. I kid <laughs> you not.
2: So the the red was the bloody bandages, and the white meant haircut, right? Because there was <laughs> wow. it's a very similar chair, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know but truly businesses were that way back in the day businesses were that generalized like you would actually go to the same person for a haircut and potentially surgery (laughs) right so we evolved from that to you know the 80s where everything became so highly specialized you know we now go to a you know, 10 doctors for every different part of our bodies. Like mm-hmm. you can't even go to one doctor for multiple parts of your bodies anymore. So I look at it as a transition from kind of generalists to specialists to, you know, now it's more of uh, diversifiers, right? I mean, I... I one of my, you know, it sounds like I have a lot of pet peeves and maybe I do, but one of my <laughs> other, one of my other really big pet peeves is that phrase, oh, you're trying to be a Jack of all trades. That gets me in the gut. Like I can't tell you <laughs> it's good for any of us because yeah, you know, the whole phrase is Jack, Jack of all trades, master of none. I'm like, who decided that I can't be good at more than one thing? Who decided any of us can't be good at more than one thing? And I, I often compare it to, to, to love. If any, but if, if any of us have multiple children, I have three adult kids, like, you know, could you only love the first, but the other two, you just couldn't? <laughs> you know, your capacity yep. to love the children grows. Why Why can't we be a master at multiple things? Who said mm-hmm. we can only be good at one thing? I, I do mm-hmm. several, I play several different roles in the course of every single day. And I'd like to believe that, you know, if I mastered every one of them, maybe not, but I'm well on my way and I'm I'm darn good at every one of the roles I play or I wouldn't mm-hmm. do it. Nice. Right,
0: right. and And it makes you happy.
2: It makes me happy. I like to wear a lot of different hats. I look (laughs) at I'm sorry,
1: preach it,
0: brother. (laughs) Uh. I know a good photographer who can Yeah, there you go.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Actually I look terrible in hats. You'll never see a picture of me online in a hat. I was just saying that.
0: (laughs) Oh, well, this was so much fun. And I think so many of us could relate to what you're saying as entrepreneurs. So thank you so much for being here. And you know, if people do want to reach out and learn more or find you or your book, what are good ways for them to find you?
2: Well, we've actually we created a a page just for you guys and your listeners, and they can go to jeffreyshaw.com forward slash customer code and uh the the main gift there is the lingo media kit which i i love so the five-step process is is there as an infographic so this way I have a visual representation of the five-step process it's a free chapter and then there's also you know being a podcaster myself there's a, a an audio version of the free chapter but really kicked up it's got sound effects and it has more okay. stories in it than i would publicly put in a book <laughs> <laughs> so there's so some extra content a little more storytelling a little more details and the whole thing is set to sound effects so it's a it's a blast so So all that, the Lingo Media Kit is right there on your page, jeffreyshaw.com forward slash customer code.
0: Well, that's very generous. Thank you for doing that. Yes, my pleasure. Thank you. All right, man. Well, we appreciate
1: it. It was a great discussion and best of luck with Lingo.
2: Thank you so much, guys. It's really (laughs) been a pleasure.
0: Thank you. Well, I think it's pretty interesting to hear about how he really has been focusing on finding the right people since when he started his photography business 30 plus years ago.
1: No, absolutely. And I really thought it was cool. I like the, I like the pushback. I mean, you can tell on the episode, (laughs) I was a big fan of, okay, we don't all have to be micro niched (laughs) to succeed in the world. We can actually do more than one thing at a time.
0: Yes. We are Renaissance people.
1: You know, It's funny. I didn't say this on, when we were talking to Jeffrey, but back in like 95, somebody would ask me a question or whatever. I was like, I'm working on a recipe for an ulcer. And they're like, what's that? I was like trying to be a Renaissance man in the information age. <laughs> <laughs> and I've always struggled with that because I have yeah, so many different interests and so many different sort of avenues I like to express mm-hmm. myself. And uh, so it was good to have some validation, GD. I'm just saying.
0: Well, I think we all felt validated by that, and I think it's great advice to really look for the people who get you, Um, because it's more fun that way, too. Well, Jamie,
1: you complete me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I'm just going to put that on an auto loop. And remind you, you said that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a good way to end.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Drop the mic for you, right?
0: (laughs) Thank you, everybody. We get you, you get us. We're a big happy family here. Thanks so much for listening to Crack the Customer Code. As you know, we are a proud member of the C-Suite radio family. If you like C-Suite radio, check out C-Suite TV. It's got in-depth interviews with business content for C-Suite leaders and entrepreneurs all on demand. Check it out at csuitetv.com. I'm Jeannie Walters, and you can learn more about me and our customer experience, investigation, consulting, and content at cxcontent.com.
1: And I'm Adam Tuporka, and you can find out more about our workshops and training and my online courses at Customerset6.com. Until
0: next time, take care of yourself. And take care of your customers.